Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Give us a call. The number is 208-991-4783. And become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Well, today's episode is brought to you by the financial support of our great listeners. Thank you so much for all your support. And now, it is time to get into today's exciting episode of Sherlock Holmes, The Malicious Moor. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast present that immortal character created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. (laughs) This week's story, The Adventure of the Malicious Moor. Holmes, why the devil are we waiting outside of the Shakespearean theater here? In the darkness. Shakespeare, the bard of Avon, wrote many tragedies, Watson. But this is one he never contemplated. I... Aha, uh-huh. Watson. Look there. In the shadow of that entrance. Who's it? Seems to be someone lurking around the premises. But who is he? A killer, Watson. We're at the door of Dr. John Watson's study, and we're about to hear another of his adventures with the fabulous Sherlock Holmes. Well, good evening, Mr. Harris. Well, good evening, Dr. Watson. Uh, What memoir are you engaged on tonight? Well, Mr. Harris, this rather peculiar adventure might have become, were it not for my old friend Holmes, a modern Shakespearean tragedy. And uh, what do you call it, Dr. Watson? Holmes and I always refer to it as the adventure of the malicious moor. And after you present to your audience the dramatic facts on Clipper Croft clothes, Mr. Harris, I shall proceed with the facts of this highly unusual story. Thank you, Doctor. There's a friendly independent store in your community that makes it their business to save you money on really fine Clippercraft clothes. You see, their business depends on giving you the greatest value for your money. And here's how a typical Clippercraft dealer explains it to his customers. Quote, we fingered the sturdy fabrics, we examined the tailoring, we checked the style features. We're thoroughly convinced, as you will be in wearing them, that Clippercraft's worsted suits are one of this country's best values at only $45. Unquote. Your Clippercraft dealer is one of America's more than 1,200 independent stores whose immense buying power makes possible extraordinary savings on clothes with the Clippercraft label. These values are so exceptional that stores selling Clippercraft proudly invite you to compare them with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now, Dr. Watson, what about the adventure of the malicious moor? Well, Mr. Harris, it began in 98, 
at Stratford-on-Avon, birthplace of Shakespeare and historic English shrine. And specifically, it began on the stage of the Shakespeare Memorial Theatre, from which the great bard's plays are annually produced by the most gifted dramatic artists of our time. In this year, the players were rehearsing Othello, with the famed actor Roger Mannering playing the Moor and his wife Alice portraying Desdemona. It was the famous deathbed scene in the fifth act when the director, Albert Forsyth, suddenly stopped the rehearsal. Out, trumpet, uh, weeps thou... No, 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 hold on, Mannering. That's the third time you've forgotten your lines. What's wrong, old chap? I don't know. I, I just can't seem to concentrate, Forsyth. You mean you can't play Othello, my dear husband? Alice, I warn you, stop criticizing. And they call you Roger Mannering, the great Shakespearean actor. Stop it, Alice. Stop it, you hear? Mr. Forsyth, this rehearsal is a mockery. I simply won't go on playing opposite this, this amateur. No, no, Mrs. Mannering. Well, how can I play Desdemona? How can you indeed? Your performance, my dear wife, will be nothing to stir the critics. Please, don't call me my dear wife, Roger. I detest the expression, and I detest you. You know very well I've taken an action for separation. Alice. Alice, listen, I'm sorry. The idea of your leaving me, driving me out of my mind, that's why I can't remember my lines. You know I can't live without you, my dear. And as for that separation, surely you don't mean it. Oh, but I do. Oh, Alice, you can't. You oh, yes, can't. I can. And as for me, parting is such sweet sorrow. That's one line out of Shakespeare you'll remember, my dear. Alice! No, no, you two. This is no time for a family quarrel. We've got a rehearsal to finish, a play to present. Mannering. Yes, Forsyth, what is it? Better go to your dressing room and learn your lines. We'll resume this rehearsal a little later. <laughs> Come in. Oh, it's you, Graham. What is it this time? Mr. Forsyth, if you'd let me try out for the role of Othello. Oh, ridiculous, Graham. You must be out of your mind. Mr. Forsyth, I beg of you, give me a chance. I've rehearsed the role. I know every line. I can play Othello as no actor has ever played it. For the last time, Graham, stop annoying me. I've already given you the part of Rodrigo. Rodrigo, Rodrigo, a secondary role, a few lines, a weak character... Let me play the moor, Mr. Forsyth, and I'll show you that I'm the greatest actor in England. Get out, Graham. But I... Get out of here, you presumptuous fool. You play Othello? Why, you couldn't shine Roger Mannering's boots. Now, get ready for rehearsal and let's have no more nonsense. So I can't shine Mannering's boots, eh? Well, we'll see about that. A pity, Mr. Graham, a pity. Oh, it's you, Rand, the caretaker. Ah, it's me, the caretaker, who's heard many an Othello done right and proper. I heard him tell you off through the door while I was sweeping out the corridor. He won't give me a chance, Rand. Forsyth won't even try me out as Othello. Aye, and you could do it, lad. I've heard you speak the lines, and you could do it. Many an actor which hasn't had justice, and many a writer, too. There's thievery in this business like any other. I'll show them, Rand. I'll show them all somehow. I'll have my chance to play Othello. Alice. Oh, Roger. What are you doing in full makeup and a black beard at this hour? Well, Alice, I want to rehearse our fifth act scene alone here on the stage before the others get here. Isn't that just a little silly, my dear? Oh, please, Alice, let's go through the scene just once. I want to make sure of my lines. Please. Oh, very well. 
I'll start the scene while into the scene on that uh, Iago line. You ready? Ready? No, Desdemona. His mouth is stopped. Honest Iago hath taken order for it. Oh, my fair interprets. What? Is he dead? Had all his hairs been lives, my great revenge had stomach for them all. Alas, he is betrayed, and I undone. Ouch, trumpet! Weep'st thou for him to thy face? Oh, banish me, my lord, but kill me not. Thou, trumpet! Kill me tomorrow. Let me live tonight. Nay, if you strive. But half an hour. Being done, there is no pause. But while I say one prayer. Too late. Roger. Roger, don't go strangling me under the pillow. Die, strumpet, die! Roger. Roger, please, I can't breathe. I I can't breathe. Not dead. Not quite dead. I that am cruel am yet merciful. I would not have thee linger in thy pain. Well, well, Desdemona. <laughs> Mr. Forsythe, I am Sherlock Holmes, and this is Dr. Watson, my confidant and colleague. Yes, Mr. Holmes. I was informed by the theater board that you've come to supplement the investigation of the official police. Then you've been misinformed, my dear sir. I take quite the opposite view. I should say so. The fact is, the official police usually supplement us, eh, Holmes? Quite. But now, Mr. Forsythe, let us get at the facts. As I understand it, Alice Mannering and her husband rehearsed a scene from Othello in private. Later, when the cast came to the stage, they found Desdemona indeed smothered to death and her husband missing. Is that correct? Yes, Mr. Holmes. That is correct. A few moments later, a man was seen rushing from the theater. He leaped on a carriage, whipped up the horses, and escaped. Yes, yes. The official police are looking for Roger Mannering now, as well as Hugh Graham. Hugh Graham? Yes, Dr. Watson. Graham was part of our company, but he had ambitions to play Othello. He was, well, somewhat unbalanced on the subject. I see. The outcome of all this is a greater tragedy than Shakespeare himself ever bargained for. Yes, quite, Watson, quite. But now I should like to go outside the theater and examine the road. Well, Holmes, we, we saw the carriage tracks at the front entrance of the theater. You yourself said it was the carriage in which the killer made his escape. Yes, Watson. Then why the devil are we examining the drive here near the rear entrance? Because, my dear fellow, I believe in an exhaustive method of... Aha, <clears throat> look here. Eh? The same carriage tracks, only in multiple prints. That means that the escape vehicle waited here at the rear entrance on numerous occasions. Yes, but Holmes... Note, too, that this is not the stage entrance, which is on the other side of the building. What of it, Holmes? You sound as though you'd found something significant. Perhaps I have, Watson. Perhaps I have. Suppose we look for the caretaker now. The caretaker? Why? I should like him to show us Roger Mannering's dressing room. This is Mannering's dressing room, eh, Ren? Aye, Mr. Holmes. Him that strangled his wife out on stage. Oh, the place seems to be in some disarray, Holmes. Yes, Watson. Note the makeup jars. They're all open. And the grease paint very untidily smeared on the dressing table. Uh-huh. What is it, Holmes? That huge costume trunk in the corner. What about it? There's a spot of blood on it. Blood, Mr. Holmes? Precisely. Now then, Rand. Yes, sir. You have a key to this trunk? Aye, why, no, sir. But Mr. Mannering always kept the key on a hook over the mirror. Ah, yes, here it is. Now, Watson, suppose we unlock this trunk and look within. Yes, by all means, Holmes. 
Holmes, good Lord. There's a body in the trunk, Mr. Holmes. And it's... It's... Yes, Rand. It's our missing Othello. Roger Mannering. Shades of William Shakespeare, Dr. Watson, but this is some adventure. Yes, Mr. Harris. And I might add, there are exciting events still to follow. But before I relate them to you, I know you have something to say about Clippercroft Cliff. I'd like to suggest to you listeners that you do some Sherlock Holmes snooping yourself when you shop for Clippercraft clothes. Your clue is the famous Clippercraft label, your guarantee of quality and value. And just as the mark of sterling represents finest silver, the Clippercraft label stands for the finest clothes at the lowest possible prices. Better yet, when you buy Clippercraft, you get double assurance. The reputation of your Clippercraft dealer, plus the Clippercraft label. And you get superb styling, flawless tailoring, luxurious long-wearing fabrics. Yes, the concentrated purchasing power of more than 1,200 of America's fine independent stores gives you truly fine Clippercraft quality at remarkable Clippercraft savings. For instance, a really expensive-looking Clippercraft top coat or overcoat comes to only 40 to 47.50. And the price tags on Clippercraft's new zipper lining top coats are marked so low. Only by seeing them will you believe them. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes bearing the Clippercraft label. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits, top coats, and overcoats. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Stores, Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. And now, Dr. Watson, you were relating to us the adventure of the malicious moor. So I was, Mr. Harris. So I was. The news naturally swept through the theater like wildfire. Meanwhile, Hugh Graham, the actor, was apprehended in a Birmingham tavern and brought back to the theater. Holmes, however, seemed interested in Mannering's body lying in the trunk. The corpse had a knife in its chest and was stripped of a fellow's costume. But Mannering's face was still in makeup. A grisly, swarthy death mask. And my friend Holmes summed up what had happened in his usual terse fashion uh, to Forsyth and myself. It is quite obvious what has transpired here, gentlemen. A killer came into Roger Mannering's dressing room and made himself up hastily but expertly. Then, dressing in the dead man's costume, he impersonated the moor, played the deathbed scene with Mrs. Mannering, and strangled her. Then he ran off, leaving them both dead. Precisely. But, Mr. Holmes, who could this bogus fellow be? It's plain foresight that the killer was an actor, and a very good one, too. And speaking of actors, suppose we have a look at Hugh Graham. I understand the police are interrogating him at this very moment. Well, Mr. Holmes, in my opinion, we've got Graham here dead to rights. No, no, Inspector. I tell you, I didn't do it. I swear it. It's true I wanted to play Othello in Mannering's place, but I tell you, I didn't kill him or Mrs. Mannering. Look here, Graham. You had it away from Stratford and Ivan just at the time of these murders. I'd call that a suspicious circumstance now, wouldn't you? I, I don't know. I was frustrated. I left in a huff. That's all there is to it. 
Well, Mr. Holmes, we're holding Graham here on suspicion of murder. I suppose you'll want to question the suspect now. No, Inspector, I have no desire to interrogate him. No questions? That is precisely what I said. But, Holmes, what the juice? This isn't at all like you. My dear Watson, one has only to look at Graham here to ascertain his participation in these crimes. Suppose we put our time to much better use by talking to Rand, the caretaker. Well, Holmes, caretaker doesn't seem to be in his office yet. In that case, Watson, we'll wait for him. Hmm. Unusual fellow, this man Rand. What do you mean? Seems to be a literary fellow. Note these bookshelves. They're full of volumes. And all by one author. Bacon. Bacon? Sir Francis Bacon, a contemporary of Shakespeare. Holmes, in view of these ghastly crimes, isn't this interest of yours in literature uh, somewhat inconsequential? Certainly not, Watson. I merely point out... Ah, the caretaker. He's coming up the corridor. How do you know it's Rand? Elementary, my dear Watson. Elementary. The steps are ponderous, heady. Rand is a big man. Ah, good morning, Rand. Oh, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. How do you do? You were out, and we thought we'd wait. I don't get much time in my office these days, I don't. It's been pretty hectic in the theater here, what with the play opening tomorrow night and the arrangements and all. And poor Mr. Forsythe, he's nearly out of his mind, casting a new Othello and a new Desdemona before the curtain rises. Yes, yes, quite. But now, Rand, I should like to request a favor of you. Aye, Mr. Holmes? My friend here, Dr. Watson, will be staying the night at the Red Horse Hotel in the village. However, I must return to London on rather urgent business. Would you be good enough to arrange for a conveyance to the next train? Aye, Mr. Holmes. I'll see to a carriage right away. Thank you, Rand. Holmes, what is all this? Why are you going to London? First, Watson, I shall have a pipe at Baker Street and indulge in a little quiet reading. After that, I believe I shall go to the theatre. Well, Holmes, you're back, eh? I am indeed. Caught the afternoon train back to Stratford, and I hope I'm in time. In time? Time for what? In time to prevent a new Shakespearean tragedy. What the devil is... At what time does Othello open at the Shakespeare Theatre tonight? Well, at 8.40, Holmes. It's quarter past eight now. Quick, get your hat and come along with me. We must hurry to the theatre at once. Watson, the theatre's crowded tonight with admirers of Shakespeare. There's not an empty seat left in the place. Oh, I should hope never mind the crowd. Where are we going now? To the caretaker's office again. Ah, here we are. Oh, he's not here, Holmes. The office is empty. That's quite. And so are the bookcases. Note that there isn't a volume of Bacon's works left on the shelves. What oh, the deuce is so strange about that? Wait. You detect a faint, acrid odor in this room? I... I... Oh, no, huh? I don't. You sure? Positive, my dear fellow. My olfactory sense is far more developed than yours. And I assure you... Uh-huh. What is it now, huh? On the table here, these tiny shavings of string. String? Precisely string with a characteristic twist or weave. Come, Watson, we'd better hurry. Hurry? Hurry where? Outside the theater, man, and quickly. Oh, you know, I'm completely baffled by your strange conduct. Why the juice are we lurking outside the Memorial Theater here? All what? right, Watson, don't move. Holmes, what is this? Look over there. Near the rear entrance. There's a, there's a man in the shadow. Yes. The caretaker, Rand. Rand? Holmes, you mean... I do indeed, Watson. Rand is the malicious Moor who murdered both Mannering and his wife. He's not yet completed his Shakespearean tragedy. Holmes, he seems to be bending over something. Now he's just lit a match. 
Quit, quit Watson. After him. Holmes! Drop that match, Ryan. Oh, no, you don't. Look out, Holmes! Oh, my arm! My arm! Over you go, Ryan! Good work, Holmes. You threw the bounder right over your shoulder. You stunned him. It's a trick of jujitsu, my dear Watson. It's quite useful at times. Holmes, what the devil was this fellow doing? Trying to blow up the theater, Watson. If you look sharp, you'll note a long fuse and a keg of gunpowder against the wall. Yes, by Jove. The fragments of string came from the fuse, all right. And the odor was gunpowder. Precisely. And the fact that the volumes of bacon were missing was also significant. This man considered them of great value and removed them so that they wouldn't be destroyed in the blast. Holmes, Rand must be mad. Undoubtedly. But I must correct you on one point, Watson. His name is not Rand. It's Bacon. Uh, Bacon? Yes, John Bacon, a direct descendant of Sir Francis Bacon. I discovered that pertinent fact in a rare genealogical volume I have at Baker Street. It was then, Watson, I obtained a hint of the motive. You're aware of the Bacon-Shakespeare controversy? Well, yes, Holmes, I am indeed. It's famous in English literature. Quite. There are any number of people who claim, through one devious tooth or another, that the great plays of William Shakespeare were not written by the Bard, but by Sir Francis Bacon instead. This school of Baconians had been quite fanatic on the subject, claiming that Bacon had never been given his rightful due among literary immortals. Then this man here, ra- uh, Bacon... Quite. Uh... His idea of justice for his ancestor was to stop the playing of Othello, blow up the theater if necessary, rather than let Shakespeare live on. Yes, but Holmes, you said the killer had to be an actor. Uh, this man is a caretaker. <laughs> on the contrary, Watson, Bacon here is a fine and accomplished actor with a special talent for mimicry and facial imitation. I received that information in London this morning from my very good friend, Mr. Upham, manager of Covent Garden. Oh. Oh, Watson, I meant coming too. Yes. It's a lie. Francis Bacon wrote Othello, Romeo and Juliet, and Forsyth, and all the rest. He's been robbed, cheated and robbed by Shakespeare. Shakespeare, a second-rate actor, that's what he was. Um, Watson. Yes, sir? Uh, I believe you'll find a police inspector uh, in the theater. I'll watch Bacon here while you get him. And after that, we'll go and see Othello ourselves. I'd leave the curtains going up, and I should enjoy a little Shakespeare. Well, Holmes, we'll be in London soon. Yes, Watson. I might say I still don't know how you first suspected Rand, uh, uh, Bacon. An obvious deduction, my dear Watson. You remember the multiple carriage tracks we saw at the rear entrance, the carriage in which Bacon made his getaway? Yes, I do, but what... They indicated that the owner was some kind of menial, since he entered the rear entrance on so many occasions. Hence, the caretaker was a possibility. And my theory was strengthened later on by another clue. Yes? What clue, Holmes? The murdered fellow, Roger Mannering, was a big man. So, too, was Bacon. Obviously, the bogus fellow had to be a big of stature to deceive Mrs. Mannering into thinking it was her husband. As for Roger Graham, he's a man of small build, therefore I dismiss his participation with a single look. And Bacon, along with his knowledge of makeup and his gift for mimicry, succeeded in deceiving the luckless Desdemona. I see. <laughs> well, Holmes, I must say this is the first time we've ever ended an adventure by witnessing a Shakespearean play. Yes, Watson. I thought the performance was superb. However, I could never quite believe the character of Othello. No? Why not, Holmes? You'll forgive me, Watson, if I seem to be irreverent. But to my mind, Othello was rather on the stupid side. Certainly any man with a normal respect for the fact and an elementary knowledge of logic would never have been deceived by Iago and have murdered his wife, Desdemona. 
Then, Watson, I'm not a playwright. I'm merely a private investigator. Well, Dr. Watson, that was certainly an interesting adventure. Thank you, Mr. Hatt. And I inscribed it with pleasure into my memoirs, being a lover of the theater, as you know. Yes, and, and now, Dr. Watson, what adventure will you relate to us next week? Next week, Mr. Harris, I shall tell you of the knife of vengeance. It concerns a gentleman who is an itinerant knife sharpener. What is distinctive about him is that he only sharpens knives to be used for cutting throats. Makers of Clippercraft clothes in more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the program is produced and directed by Basil Lockran. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Feldman. This week's story was written by Max Ehrlich, with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clippercraft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Well, the literary debate over who wrote Shakespeare's plays was perhaps a little bit more heated uh, in the late 19th and uh, early to mid 20th centuries, though perhaps that was uh, a slight uh, exaggeration in search of the villain by our writers. It kind of is a bit of a stretch because, you know, we, we live, of course, in the age of uh, global terrorism and uh, we're used to some different reasons for this sort of thing. So a literary debate over Shakespeare versus Bacon doesn't quite seem worth the sort of uh, insane actions, but madmen don't need a whole lot of explanation. Now, if you had read Othello, and uh, you remembered it, you may have gotten a very early reveal, uh, a hint that it was this uh, Bacon fellow who was the uh, murderer. Uh, because that uh, conversation he had with that younger actor who wanted to play Othello, uh, it was uh, reminiscent of a conversation that Iago had with uh, Cassio, uh, in Othello. I don't know whether that was uh, intentional or whether that just worked its way into the plot because they were thinking about uh, Othello. Uh, I love Shakespeare. I, I Somehow or another, with everything else we watch and follow, I don't end up uh, spending as much time on it, but uh, there's some great Shakespeare. They did even adapt, finally adapt uh, in the 1950s on Suspense, uh, Othello, uh, with, uh, old time radio, uh, back when Elliot Lewis was heading things up on suspense. I often thought it'd be nice to get an opportunity to visit all of the old time radio, uh, Shakespeare adaptations. Orson Welles did quite a few, both on the Columbia 
workshop and also on the Mercury Theater. Well, uh, that's actually all for today. Oh, one thing I do want to let you know. I've added another show to the list of those we're going to be doing. Uh, Public Defender, Roger uh, Kilgore, Public Defender, has been added to the list. Uh, We're really low on the lawyer shows, so I was kind of borderline on them. we got two weeks of programming only, and uh, I think it makes a very interesting historical note, so I've added it to that list of uh, programs we hope to get to someday. All right, well, that will do it for today. Join us back here tomorrow for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And we'll be back next Thursday with another episode of Sherlock Holmes. In the meanwhile, send your comments to Box13 at GreatDetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and call us 208-991-4783. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.